Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 93, and we are beginning our, our well, mostly beginning our Arcanum Unbounded deviation, uh, assuming you ignore our quick white sand from last week, but we're doing Emperor's Soul, the first half of Emperor's Soul this week, and here to talk about it with me are Paul and Elliot. How are you? How are you, Paul? Amazing. I'm uh, excited to get started on another thing. Also trying to figure out why we're not just reading Rhythm of War right away. But uh, really excited to learn about a new system and and see another part of our universe. Cool. Elliot? I'm good. I'm good. It's a little strange to be stepping outside of Stormlight for a little bit. We are. It's a change of pace. We we were trying to so desperately trying to figure out what's going on on Roshar. Now we're kind of stepping out into a, a little more simple of a story, I guess I would say for sure in this one. But I I'm enjoying it. Wonderful. We'll keep it simple. This this episode. One word to summarize the first half of Emperor's Soul that we'll talk about this week, uh, Elliot. Painting. Okay. And Paul? That's a good one. I had artistic. So, an artistic painting. Good. There we go. We have a good theme here. Let's. What use... about you, Trevor? Do you got one? I don't have one on the top of my head if I can think about it. Well, I give our mug of the week if we want. I'll let the intro roll and then I'll think about it. Okay. Sounds good. I'm going to keep that audio in and just <laughs> do it without audio and keep your audio in there. It was, yeah. There's like the violins that swoop in, you know, everything. Who's on our mug? Our cup this week has Pac Man. We've got Pac Man. Um,. Whose full name I think on there I couldn't quite fit on our on our mug, but Pac-Man in Idaho, he's just on a vacation I guess visiting Idaho. Uh, Pac-Man is an ardent, yes, and we really appreciate the support. Um, we like Pac-Man a lot, a classic game character and podcast supporter. So really appreciate it. So thank you a lot. Thank you. We'll be thank you. We'll be sending out our dark eyes bundles this week, the week this goes live, to all of our ardents and our our light eyes bundle to my mother. <laughs> Thanks, mom. So if <laughs> you're to Amy, if you're an ardent, expect that in the mail. And if you didn't get it, please let me know. How do you feel that your mom is a shard bearer and you you're you're nothing? Like you're just nothing. I mean, you're just a host of some podcast. It's true. I don't. I haven't really thought about it. To be honest, I'll think about it. Big shard boots to fill. You know, it's true. I'm gonna steal the normal format and say I'm gonna have two words, and my two wow. words are going to be imperial fool. Mm-hmm. You didn't do what me and Elliot would do and just kind of smush him like Imperial, Imperial Fool. Imperial like, Fool. Yeah. He makes the rules around here so he can kind of do what he wants. 
I guess so. That's true. Uh, Elliot, you want to talk about your word? Yeah, yeah, I do. So painting touched on, Paul, your word really, kind of the artistic nature of of this story, which definitely had some interesting themes about the artistic process and sort of how an artist approaches their their work, which we can talk about. And then I had to just pick painting because there's a, a very specific painting referenced a few times in this, and I can't help but wonder if it might be similar to another painting I can think of. Wow. Who knows? Not me. So my word is artistic. Um, we see that with the painting. So our protagonist here, Shy, or wh whose perspective we're seeing. Right. Uh, Shy, she forged, like kind of forged or painted like a, a replica of some valuable painting and was stealing it, all, all this stuff. Uh, but she has a lot of artistic abilities that are very good, apparently, to have mimicked this painting. So she's very talented. Um, not just this painting, but it seems like a lot of the elements of this world are really artistic because she's in a cell that has, like, 46 or 44 different types of, like, stone in it. And I just kind of got this really cool imagery of, like, a marble effect that's really cool in her cell. And I was like, that seems pretty cool. So... Um, I kind of have an artistic-minded view of our world here. Sounds good. Here is a sneak peek for next week. There is a deleted prologue to this short story that has a dialogue directly between Shy and the Imperial Fool before she's captured. I will be reading it for you next week once we finish talking about the whole story. So you, you can look forward to that next week as we get into the actual prologue, the, the published prologue. And I will next week I'll explain why it's not in there and why they changed it on what all that means. So you can look forward to that for, for next week. That would be really cool if I knew who that was. You might know who it is. Yeah. I might have a guess <clears throat> based purely yeah. off the name. Yeah, fair. That's a good point. I I did have a question for you, Trevor, though, before we jump into the the chapters here. Sure. So we're in the, the cellish system, is that correct? Yes. And are we on the planet Cell itself? I don't think the story told. Yes, we are on Cell. Cell has I believe three major empires across the planet the planet's like really big as if i recall correctly and there's three separate empires and they all kind of just ignore each other because there's plenty of room for everybody so they just view themselves as the center of the the civilized world and kind of just ignore that there's some trading back and forth but as far as politics go they they pretty much leave each other alone so we are on cell and we're in, oh shoot, I don't remember the uh, the kingdom that we're in, or the empire that we're in. They refer to it as the 
the Rose Empire a few times, but I'm sure it has another name probably too, right? It does, yeah. So my actual question for you is in the system overview, it talks about the planet cell being Cosmere standard in size. Okay. I was wondering, we don't really have a perspective of what that means. Is that intended to be like Earth, like our standard size? Yes. So that so what you're referring to is Chris referring to cell as Cosmere standard 1.5 yeah. uh, in size and 1.0 in gravity, I believe is what it, it has. And yes, that's just for you as the reader. Earth is one and one. 1.0 for size, 1.0 for gravity. And it okay. just gives you a mental image of what you're looking at. So we're looking at an Earth and a half in size and Earth gravity. Got it. Whereas Rashar, I believe, is 0.9 in size and 0.7 in gravity. Good question. Okay. It also explains in the Selish System excerpt that the physical location that you are in shapes the magic that you are trying to harness. So before we really get into the the, the prologue and the couple days, the, the early days of Shy here, I want to talk about the the soul stamp that she is about to to craft and how that works. So the best way I've heard it explained to me is think of it as programming. The, the investiture is trapped on the cognitive realm and it can be harnessed via very specific patterns in, in stamps. So I'm going to carve this stamp in a very specific way and imprint it onto a cognitive soul. Um, and it will then imprint that onto the, onto the soul. Does that make sense? If, if I hadn't read, that would make no sense, but knowing how we see it used, it, it makes sense to me. So. Okay, we can, we'll revisit this here in a second. But our prologue, the published prologue in the published novel is all the arbiters of, this is right after the emperor's accident. His wife has been, or assassination attempt. His wife has just been murdered. He's been sentenced brain dead, basically. All he, he's a, a vegetable, as they call them. He's on his deathbed. He's His heart is still beating. His mind is still telling his heart to beat, but that's pretty much it. He stares straight at the ceiling, and that's all he does. So the Ardents, Ardents, Arbiters, are all talking about, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? And they come to the conclusion that, well, we could forge, we could get a forger to reattach his soul basically to his body. And they view that as a sacrilegious basically, or a taboo. And they were, they refer to their own forgers as rememberers. And you don't, you don't forge a human soul. You only forge objects 
So for Shy to be experienced in forging and stamping her own soul as opposed to other people and as well as other people's souls, that's something you don't touch. And so that they're begrudgingly shoving this under the carpet of we're going to forge the Emperor's soul, have Shy forge the Emperor's soul, but we're not going to tell anyone about it, certainly. And we're not going to do it ourselves because that's that's a no-no. What were you guys' takeaways from this opening setup uh, to this short story? It, it feels like the people... Uh, I couldn't fully tell if this was like a necessary evil for our characters that we see to do good. Or if this was still a necessary evil, but with the intent to like manipulate or use or gain power from the emperor, I I don't really know because it seems like it could be either. Um, just given kind of the eeriness and she's in this like cell, it seems like they would want to like. I almost think of. A comparison to Warbreaker. Um, I feel like our like servants here may like try to flip a switch or something like that, but uh the concept of it makes sense. They want their country to continue operating and still be in their spots at least. Um and so they need to enact some not so savory methods of reviving the king in a sense so i had some questions about kind of how you know what the what the intent here is with with forging the emperor's soul and we we learn a bit about forging trevor you kind of explained it a second ago i'm i'm still a little bit confused as to the end result when you forge something because you pre-program your magic and then you apply it to your either your item or your person and it changes them but it's not illumination right. like i'm comparing back to to stormlight cuz that's what you know where we just kind of came from sure it's not just an image it actually physically changes the object right right cuz like she she forges the the some of the items in her room, like the table and the window. Yep. And they they become the thing. And and it even talks about how she has to like convince the thing to become the new thing, but then it also like always it believes that it always was the thing. So it's like she's changing history. But then at the same time, it's still a forgery. It still has that stamp that it's getting the magic from. So it's not truly the new thing. It, it, am I summarized? Am, am I on the right track? You are. Yeah. That's okay. how I would describe it myself as well. So I, I think that computes in my brain. It's still a little bit confusing that the new thing is and always was the new thing, but still isn't quite the new thing. I think I'm tracking. I thought of it as kind of a wishy-washy version of soul casting. In that soul casting, you do change something into something else. But with this, it's like you change it into something else, 
as long as it knows it's something else and not the way it was or like something else like it maybe could be more easily reversed but maybe easier to change to begin with with like putting a physical stamp on a physical object um so there's there's two parts to this that I'll touch on the first is how similar it is to soul casting so Shalon, when she's trying to make a fire, she's talking to the stick and says, hey, you could be fire. And the stick's like, no, I'm a, I'm a stick. Why would I be fire? I've always been a stick. I always will be a stick. I'm a stick. And then when she's talking to the boat in a couple chapters previous, she's saying, hey, you could become water. And the, the ship says, no, I'm a ship. I've always been a ship. And then she says yeah, but your crew needs you to become water. You could save their lives if you become water. And she convinces it to become water. She gives it an, a motivation and stormlight, and then it becomes water. Shai's table here, it wants to be taken care of. She's giving it what it wants and reforging it to be have always been taken care of because that's what it has always desired. Does that make sense? So in, in theory, if she goes and finds a ship that's been shipwrecked, it'll in, it'll want to be a ship again. And she could repair a ship. And, and I think Shai even talks about for a little bit in one of these early chapters about how it's it's easier or it works better if you improve the thing right if you if you make it if you convince it you know oh you're you're a broken window but you could be a stained glass window and how that like helps the process along and i couldn't help think but back to our our poor helpless shallan trying to convince the stick to become fire and the stick's like no i want to be a stick and shallan's like but fire like if she if she had like tried to explain to the stick how fire is so much better than being a stick, maybe it would have worked. Now, now I'm kind of you know assuming that there's parallels in these these magic systems, but maybe that's the piece Shalon was missing was proving to the stick that it really wanted to be fire because fire's better. I, I was gonna say I think Shalon would learn a lot and gain a lot from from being in our story here. Like if she just got to be a fly on the wall and, and learn from Shy, like maybe she would learn a whole lot about soul casting. I would like to read some input from Ranksk. We've referred to him multiple times on the podcast. I asked check out his YouTube channel. Shout out to his YouTube channel. I asked our spoiler channels that any input they had on Emperor's Soul and the ones you can't see. And here's what Ranks had to say. There's a curiosity that I have. So forgery works on both objects and people. Soul casting appears to as well, but from what we've seen, it's mostly stuff like Yasna turning a person into fire or smoke and killing them. However, in Words of Radiance, Shalon does something with her drawings where she draws someone as their more noble self. And then when the person sees the picture, it transforms them in that way. 
I'm wondering if this is tapping into something similar to forgery, and if maybe she's doing that this to herself as well when she splits into new personalities. It also makes me wonder if soul casting can be done much more subtly, like turn an urn into a nicer urn instead of blood or smoke or water. No one and just no one has thought of that yet, or it takes a lot of mastery of the surge. Did did you say that was that was some of Rank's thoughts, or was he quoting something else? That's just, that's Rank's thoughts. Okay, Rank's. I agree with you. I had some similar thoughts as I was reading this. I thought too that scene in Words of Radiance where Shalon draws one of the the mercenary guys. I think his name was Bluth. I want to say. Yep. And when she draws him, it inspires him to go do something honorable. Whereas before he hadn't been. And I thought I had the same, I had the same similar thought. You explained it way better though of, of the possible parallels there of inspiring and improving a thing or a person, which I think we're learning that things and people may be similar than, than we thought when we first started the series. So I'm on board for sure. So we've we've visited Shadesmar, and Gautona, uh, our Shai's captive arbiter dude, has not. And Shai is trying to explain to him that the table has a soul, and the window has a soul. And Gautona doesn't believe that. And if somebody in the real world would try to explain that to me, I would not either. But uh, Shai is saying the the window wants to be better the the table wants to be better and if you help it to get there then it can be and Gaut, that kind of goes over gautona's head um and she's like okay whatever just help me with the emperor please so as she's practicing and kind of doing this creative outlet as she's working on the emperor's soul uh, that's what she's. That's what she's doing. She's going to Shadesmar and talking to the stick to become fire. Now, now back to our back to Shy and our our forgery story, though. That there's a limit to this, though, right? So she's trying to forge the emperor's soul, but she can't just forge the ideal version of the emperor, stamping on him, and okay, now he's awesome she has to be as similar as possible to who he actually is. Right. Or it won't take. Right. So it's like a fine, it is a fine balance, right? She has to do all of this research. This is why it takes so long, right? This is why she doesn't know if she's going to be able to get it done in the time she has is because she has to know like intimately all the details of the emperor's personality and his motives, like better than even he does. So she has to design this perfectly to be him but also maybe kind of like nudge him to be a little better. That's, that's the assignment. She gets a hold of uh, Ashravan's personal journal and, and reads through it to try to get into his brain and figure out how this soul stamp can actually take. So. And from what my what I'm 
was trying I've been trying to figure out is is she actually going to do this because they talk about how it like oh you know this is something you have to spend like three years doing or something like that like some crazy amount of time and she's given a hundred days so like one can she do it two is she actually gonna do it because I think she just wants to leave uh that's like the whole beginning is her like looking at the rocks of her cell because if she can convince them to be something else or whatever like knows more about their history all this stuff if she can rewrite that then she could kind of disassemble the cell and break free and all this stuff so sorry i yawned but like is is she going to like do this or is she just gonna like pretend like she's doing it and then until she finds a way finds a way to skedaddle that was actually i think the most interesting dilemma for me through through this story is shy's motivation herself she could escape she has at least a plan to but and part of her wants to but part of her doesn't part of her wants to take on this creative challenge and see it through to the end especially once she starts to get you know invested in it once she starts to you know get a little ways into it and realize oh but I, I could finish. Ooh, but this would be such a huge achievement. I, I, I kind of, I thought that was really cool. That inner struggle there of does she escape? Does she get out? She thinks she's going to get killed if she stays. You know, they don't have a lot of motivation to keep her around. So once she achieves her goal, so it's this fine balance of how far do I go? When do I escape? When do I get out? Do I? An interesting little glimpse into the the mind of our character. Yeah. the The painting is a good symbol for the like her end goal. The emperor's soul is. Gautona figures out that oh you. You didn't make one copy of the painting. You made two, and you made the second one deliberately wrong so that we'd find out. But the the original isn't there anymore. The what is hanging up, what we thought you failed to steal, you successfully did, and you made a perfect copy that we could never figure out. So the the amount of talent that that would require to make a a fake that would take days to figure out, but also make the another fake. But it's basically the original is at what point does that actually become art itself when you're imitating this masterpiece that's in hanging in the gallery to perfection to where nobody can replicate it and understand that it's not actually the real real painting. Shy insists that she is an artist herself because she has achieved the same thing that this other artist has. That that was part of my question with her motivation, right? So she imitates this, and, and doesn't Gautona or someone bring up, like, why don't you just be a painter? Because you're, like, really good at this, and, like, isn't it, it's, like, respected, right? Or, like, art is highly viewed, or right. whatever here, all this stuff. 
why don't you just do that? Like, you could stop being a s scoundrel and thief, and she gives me a lot of Lyft energy, but, like, maybe more mature version of Lyft. A couple years older um, Lyft. Yeah, Lyft, Lyft who's, yeah, less joking, I guess, less snarky. Um, but, yeah, like, why don't you just do art? Why do you have to be all mischievous? And I don't fully know, but... We know she just likes causing problems, at least, or has some other motivation, which we don't know yet. I'll I'll play devil's advocate a little bit there and say, first off, I'll agree with Cheyenne that I think she is an artist, that she clearly has a lot of skill, and what she does is very impressive. That said, that there's a big difference between copying what someone has done and creating something out of nothing and that that creative impulse that imagination that generation of something new requires a a slightly different maybe not skill set but mindset perhaps than than copying something i'm i'm thinking of like you know maybe maybe a music artist that i really enjoy writes a song and sings it and it's great it's awesome but then somebody on YouTube goes and does a cover of it, and maybe it's actually better than the the original. I, I can love the cover just as much, if not more, than the original song, but the credit still goes, in my opinion, to the original for that creation of the work to begin with. So is is a forger an artist? Yes, but it's not the same, in my opinion. While we're talking about the painting, you re you ready for a, a theory? I am. We, we, we got to get into a theory, right? Yeah. So I have, I have absolutely nothing to go on for this theory, but I really, I, like it. I really, really want it to be true. I support this theory already. I haven't heard it yet. All right. I've won Paul great. over. I'm going to win the rest of you over. Just, just bear with me. In at least my reading so far, Paul, you've you've read some Mistborn, so you'll have to clue me in if if maybe we can pull Mistborn into this at some point. So far, I've been on two major planets. I've been on Roshar, and we read Warbreaker, which was on Nalthus. Nalthus. Yep. In both of those worlds, the only two we've been to so far, there was a painting. And that painting had some pretty striking similarities in those two worlds. Potentially could easily be. I have a running theory. Was the same. Now we just journeyed over to a third planet, and lo and behold, there's a painting, and it's pivotal, important to our story. But there's no description that I could find of what actually this painting looks like. Like none. They talk about that there's a painting and that it's masterfully done, and that it's awesome. But there's Don't no description, unless I missed it, of what it looks like. I remember hearing some, they like listed some of the differences between the paintings. Am I right? And, and it wasn't that descriptive, but they're like, oh, the moon was a little lower on this one. And like two, may, maybe three other things. And so I in my head, it wasn't the same, but I don't, I don't remember well enough. But yeah, they don't just like describe the entirety of the painting. Yeah. I'll have to go read that again because maybe it'll dash my theory. But 
what I would love to be true is that this is the same painting that we saw described in Warbreaker and also that we just saw in Shadesmar in Oathbringer. And That's even, the theory. Even if it's not the same painting, maybe by the same artist, that would still have major implications for... Yeah. I was I was going to relate it to Hoyd in that we see it in all of our storylines, right? We see a painting. But what if Hoyd is the artist? You know? I mean... Could be. What is it, What do you think he does in his spare time, you know, before he goes to bed at night? He, he plays the flute. Oh, that's true. I miss my flute. And paints while he plays the flute. Yeah, what he, what, he was missing a flute for a while, so, like, probably paints. He's had plenty of time to, like, work on his painting skills, so I'm sure he's gotten pretty good. One, uh, I like the theory, though. One more detail I want to touch on is the, the blood sealer and the mechanics of how the blood sealer works. So similar to uh, the stamp, it has to do with a 24-hour period that it... it on a person, it's not going to stick indefinitely, whereas on a vase or a table or a whatever, it will uh, stick indefinitely. But on if you're imprinting on a person, it has to be replenished every day. There, I think there's a there's a window there where you can re restamp re it. You don't have to do it um, anyway. But the blood sealer takes some of Shy's blood to keep her in the room and stamps the door with her blood and it will alert him if she leaves a proximity of the of the stamp. Did you guys catch that? Understand the mechanics of that? Yes. And it seems like the implication was even more than just alerts that there's like a like a tracking mechanism almost based on it, where if she she leaves the room, not only does it alert the blood sealer, the blood sealer kind of knows where she is or like what direction she's in. Yep. Some nifty magic. He also apparently has a skeleton crew with him. I don't really understand that to be honest isn't it kind of like pets or like minion type little animal guys that like if she leaves they're gonna come after her and she's like very afraid like even her being super cunning and sneaky is like no i i would be i would be toast if he sixes i've imagined them just as like hounds like if he sends his hounds on her you know it reminded me of Vasher's skeleton army at the end of Warbreaker. That like oh, one yeah. of the, one of the twists at the end of that book. I don't know if you guys remember, but all the statues around the city were secretly old warriors that they made statues of, and then he could awaken them as a as a stone army. Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. no big deal. Like and, and didn't we learn at the end of that story that they, yeah, the statues even had like they had the bones of those old warriors in them, so they could be more easily awakened. Right. Which reminds me, very, very briefly, then we'll move on. We have a lot of statues in Stormlight for heralds. Do we think think Zile's gonna come and ooh have a part two? You know, 
Why not? Why couldn't he do it there? Who's, whose bones are in the statues of the heralds? There's some some do I mean they've died several times. Does do they keep their body after death? I don't know if we know. I'm unclear. I don't know unclear. if they reclaim the same body each time or not. Yeah. Could be. Zio could have been in there and just sticking bones in, like you never know when I'm gonna need this, so It'd be handy to have, so I mean Zio's gotta have some sort of Backup for in case something happens, yeah, right? Like, He's got to have some sort of plan cooking. It's just some insurance, you know, to fall back on in case everything goes crazy. Anyways. I had another observation about this world. I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's, it's starting to become a, a for sure theme now. Sanderson really loves to tailor his expletives. Doesn't he? Yes. On on Roshar, it's it's storms. Everything is storming, storming man. Bridgman, what is yeah. he doing? And then even on Nalthus and our characters who apparently are from Nalthus, they they have you know swear words relating to colors, or, or they'll just say oh colors. And then here we get to this world, and on this world, the the expletives are clearly like nights and days. I caught it a couple times. There would be like, oh, days or, you know, nights of fire or something like that. But that was kind of confusing to me because we know where storms comes from because storms is very pivotal to how Roshara works. And we know that colors are instrumental to the magic system on Nalthus. So now we get to this world on Cell. And now I'm confused because the swear words are nights and days. But what does that have anything to do with with this world that we're on? That doesn't seem to match anything that was in the in the system description that we got for for cell. So I was I was a little lost by that. Although it was that was that was clearly the 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 swear words, but I wasn't quite sure how they matched. I'll expound upon that here in a second. But Paul, what I don't remember what are the swear words in Mistborn? Well, first I have a guess. As to days and nights. Well, uh-huh. uh, so a lot of this seems tied in like the history of things. So I'm wondering if nights and days is just kind of an allusion to like time, like days spent as time goes on, histories get more expansive and therefore it's probably more difficult to do stuff. That's probably going, it's that's harder to pick up. So I don't know for sure, but that's my guess. Swear words in Mistborn. I don't, I don't know that I remember. Is it like with the mist? Like it is. It does have mist, to do with mist. Like, but I don't remember exactly what it is. It's been too long since I've read it. The I have. Go ahead. I have just recently, like, just cracked the cover. I'm like five or six chapters into the Hero of Ages now. So I've not finished our first era, but I'm in the last book now. So, gotcha. The, um. The Cytoverse, as it's called, it's not in the Cosmere, but the uh, Skyward, Starsight, and Cytonic, the his young adult sci-fi, they their swear word of choice is Scud, uh, the scudding aliens and the scudding satellites and all that fun fun stuff. So he, he certainly does tailor his his expletives. I think it's 
it's just fun for him to throw in random yeah. random expletives uh, that don't mean I'm anything. I think it's I think it's funny. I think it's tasteful, and it also just works for all of them. Like you can just come up with something, and then it's unique. So, anything else for this uh, abbreviated episode of following Noadon? I think we covered all my thoughts for the the first half here. Well, I had one thought of Elliot's that I see on our outline. And I didn't, I didn't hear. And I'm actually curious to see why he brought it up. Ralkalest, a type of metal with anti-magic powers. Have we seen this before? Those are Elliot's words, Cornell, to, to the outline. And I am curious, as a almost completed-ish first era Mistborn reader. Anytime you see metal, it's just like ping. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> metal. Me- there's a metal in here. Wow, that's got to be important, right? I am so glad you brought that up, Paul. I cannot believe I missed that. That was probably the most important thing out of the the first half of this, and I can't believe I just missed that. I skipped over that in our outline. Yes. So in one of the very early chapters, when they're talking about like how Shy was going to escape from the cell that they had her locked in, she talks about this special metal that she calls Rawkalest, and she... Kind of from the context, we can work out that it's implied that Ralkalest is like resistant to the forgery magic. She kind of, you know, explained like, well, you could have encased the the cell in Ralkalest, and then I couldn't have forged it. And then like keeps on talking, but Ralkalest is brittle or something like that, and I could have I could have broken it. And I paused there because. We've seen metal with kind of anti-magic powers before on Roshar. It, more than once, I believe, there was a there was a metal that um, Azure had in Kolinar. We, we we mentioned this briefly uh, a couple of episodes ago, I think, as one of our our un, unanswered questions of where did this metal come from and what is it? Why does it have powers to protect? and block detection and things like that, I think was kind of how it's been used in Roshar. Well, here's a metal now on this world that appears to have anti-magic powers. Could they be the same? I'm wondering now. I don't actually know what... Did, did Rawkalest have a color? Did it, did it describe Rawkalest having a color? I don't remember. They're standing. I would guess that they are the same. I don't know if if I should describe my thought process or not. I, I'd save it. Okay. I think that's a good choice. Wow, I get to save information I know? Yeah, how's that feel? This is new! I don't like it. I want to ta- <laughs> talk about it. I want to be like, oh, looky here! You know? But Now I've got Paul and Trevor withholding mm-hmm. spoilers from me. <laughs> Great. Great. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so yeah, that that was my my notice. That was my perhaps those two medals are the same. There's well one more thing, and then I'll close the the episode. That another medal that you know is resistant to magic, but not really like it. It's kind of just been developed as the magic system is shard plate itself. You can't lash right. someone in shard plate 
even if it's, you know, like, no matter how much investiture you have, no matter how much Stormlight or Voidlight you have, you can't lash someone with, with shard plates. So that there's something there as well. You're right. Or I have shard plate kind of in a different category in my head in that it seems like we're learning that most shard plate is essentially a super awesome fabrial. It's powered by gemstones and stormlight. And so it, it that seems to me, we haven't learned enough yet maybe, but that seems to me almost like maybe an artificial version of this where we've, we've they've come up with a, a way to kind of mimic that capability in the shard shard plate, whereas this metal appears to have this property naturally where you right. just need a lump of it and now it's going to, you know, block a shard blade or, or do whatever. Anything else before we close the episode? I think for real this time, that's all my thoughts. <laughs> I'm excited to read the rest of this. All right, let's reconvene next week and talk about the rest of Emperor's Soul. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. See ya. Noodles.